Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. I'm speaking here today from Camaragal land, and I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and the land wherever you're listening to this podcast and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And today we're celebrating music and I'm joined by two very special public school teachers, Sarah Donnelly and Thomas Feinberg, who were uh, honoured recently with nominations for the ARIA Music Teacher of the Year Award. And we're also delighted to have with us today uh, one of the great Australians, Deborah Cheatham, a a child of the stolen generation and a Yorta Yorta woman, a, a soprano, a composer, a teacher and the artistic director of the Short Black Opera Company. Welcome everyone. Hello, Mark. Good to be here. Wonderful to have you all with us. Now, we can't start uh, the podcast today without the breaking news of the week. Not only were Thomas and Sarah nominated for the ARIA Awards, Sarah, you actually won the title of Music Teacher of the Year. Congratulations on that achievement. And and I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit on, on what winning that award means to you. Thank you so much, Mark. I have to admit, I'm still blown away and a little bit shaky. I don't think I can really believe it, partly because business here as usual. So very busy days at Wilcannia Central School with our kids and community. Um, But the outpouring has been absolutely incredible. And I think what the award means, it's not about me. It's actually about our whole school community and our kids and the world seeing Wilcannia in such a positive light. I'd also like to acknowledge the Barkindji people who are the traditional owners of the land on which I stand. Um, And I'm so grateful to be in this special place. And the award is just another nod to the kids, the community and how we work together here. And you paid special tribute to them. I know in your, your speech at the Arias the other night, we'll come back and talk a little bit about the work you've done at Wilcannia, uh, but music's the heart of our conversation today. And in particular, I want to explore how we can use music to connect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to their culture, but also to engage them with learning. And Deborah, we've met in the past and, and we all know of your renown as an opera singer and a creator of operas, but I'm not sure I was aware that in your background, you were a music teacher. Um, and that you credit your own music teacher at Penshurst Girls High School, Jennifer King, with putting you on the pathway to success that you've had. Oh, that's right, Mark. And uh, hello to all those uh, people out there from uh, the Barkindji country. I've spent a lot of time up there, Sarah, and some very happy memories. Uh, And uh, Willakali is just one of the very special parts of the world. I'm talking to you from Bunwarang country in the Eastern Kulin Nation, uh, close, uh, close neighbours of the Woiwurrung, drawing energy on this land every single day. But none of what I do would have been possible without my high school music teacher, Jennifer King. A wonderful school, Penshurst Girls High, as it was then, uh, year 7 to 12. Things have changed a little bit now and there's, uh, there's a college where the year 11 and 12s go off. Uh, to specialise. But back in the day at Penshurst Girls High School, I was so very fortunate to have a teacher who, look, it wasn't just a job. It wasn't even just a career. It was really a vocation, a calling for Jennifer. And uh, she saw potential in me very early on. And before I knew it, I was taking piano lessons and flute lessons and having musicianship lessons after school with Jennifer. So it really was uh, quite an important uh, foundation f- for my life, 
uh, not just as a musician, but as a whole person. I think one of the great stories about Jennifer that I that I love to recount is um, when I was in eight, uh, year eight. At the end of year eight, of course, we choose our electives in New South Wales. And um, my parents, my adopted parents, were trying to be very sensible about this. You know, what, what, can, what tools will this child need for her future? And so they insisted that I, that I take uh, commerce. Any of my friends listening to this podcast will be laughing themselves uh, into a fit right now <laughs> that I could have contemplated taking commerce. Uh, unfortunately, commerce was in the same line as music. Anyway, you had to get a permission slip, so the permission slip was signed by my parents and the box for commerce was ticked. But Jennifer King was my year patron and she had to collate all the permission slips about the electives. And when she saw that I'd chosen commerce over music, well, she hauled me out of the next class where she could find me and asked me, what's the meaning of this? Why are you taking commerce and not music? I want you to change this. I said, well, my mum, you know, she said I had to take, leave your mum to me, Jennifer said. And uh, before I knew it, my elective was changed to music, thank goodness. Yeah. And uh, that was that was history. But that was, you know, it wasn't about numbers. That was actually a very crowded music class, that elective music class, I recall. It was about a teacher with a true vocation understanding that this was something I needed to do for my own personal development. We have, a, we have a line in New South Wales education that we cite a lot about every student being known, valued and cared for. Mm. And, and clearly that teacher knew, could see in you your talent and your capability and cared that, that you were put in an environment where you could flourish. Absolutely. And it wasn't just that. Uh, she and Jennifer and her husband both worked at Penshurst Girls High. In fact, I would have been learning commerce from Lionel, so they lost that debate <laughs> early on. But uh, the thing was that they invested in their students. And in 1979, in fact, I can tell you the exact date, the 19th of February 1979, Lionel and Jennifer and a group of, our, of students from our music elective classes across the years went to, well, what was my very first opera, The Merry Widow, in the concert hall of the Sydney Opera House. I sat in, I sat in row L, seat 23, if you need to know. And with Lionel and Jennifer on either side of me, I experienced my first opera. And that has led to pretty much everything I've done in my career. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, when you were introducing um, us all, I was a teacher, first and foremost. And, and that comes directly from the inspiration that I saw in Lionel and Jennifer and other teachers around me, my piano teacher Kay, uh, but for, for the inspiration and the guidance that I received, I'll be forever grateful. Thomas and Sarah listening to that and as music teachers practicing today and influencing students today, what's your response when you hear that story about the transformational power of a teacher, particularly a music teacher? Yes, Mark, well, I'm just would like to also acknowledge that I'm on Durrag country here in Blacktown in Western Sydney and listening to the words of Deborah just rang so true for the experience of so many students. Every year as music teachers, we have difficult conversations with students who are being pressured to select other electives besides ours in music. And we're constantly having to fight for the value that music education has in education. And 
research is clear that music has so many benefits beyond just um, the connection to culture and enhancing your creativity. And in particular, the role that music plays in improving literacy and numeracy um, is, is so very well documented. And from those early years through to the middle years and into the senior years, the benefits of doing music education um, is something that we as teachers are constantly fighting for to get our parent communities to understand the benefits of choosing that subject and continuing their passion and um, abilities that they show within the subject. I want to come back and talk a little bit about the, the work you're doing at your school and with the local community. But, but Sarah, as you reflect on Deborah's comments and you look at your own ambitions for your music uh, program, you know, what do you see as the impact that music can bring uh, uh, in the lives of students and, and, and help in their engagement with learning and their life trajectory? I'm really lucky, Mark, that I am trained as a primary teacher, but I'm now in a position where I'm working in a central school, a connected community school, and I'm working um, from preschool all the way up to year 12. And I think connecting to what Deborah says, and when we think about knowing students and valuing them and making them feel a part of something bigger, that is education and a positive experience, music for me is that thing that draws everything together. It's a tool that we can use to bring a sense of calm and order in the classroom, to bring a sense of fun. It's fun for adults. It's fun for kindergarten children. It allows you to sort of transfer into this other space where you can be thinking, relaxing, experiencing classical music, which is something kids don't don't necessarily experience at home, sharing through the history and the understanding in some of the anthems that are certainly things that they see at home, draw them into literacy and, and engage them. Um, but it's number one for me, it's that building of a relationship and that connectedness that music brings. Now, now Thomas, you, you don't just you know, practice this during the day, you've gone and done a, a, a PhD uh, exploring these ideas in a, in a research sense. Tell us a bit about that and tell us about the work you're doing with the Solid Ground program. Yes, well, um, prior to making my way to Evans High School in 2017, I'd been working um, at the same time as being a music teacher on a PhD, as you mentioned, Mark, um, looking at exploring ways of better understanding and experiencing and connecting oneself with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander music. And in that PhD, I was gifted the opportunity to collaborate with some amazing elders um, from Nyampa country. And they shared some songs with a high school music class of mine. And um, we went on a camp together and reworked those songs. And in that process, um, the students were able to have a transformative experience where um, they realized that it was more than just music and that what they were engaging in was a relationship with those people and better understanding what it's like to be an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person in Australia today. So um, for me as the teacher watching that path and being experiencing the project at the same time, it really highlighted the benefits that music education can have in bridging the gaps that we currently have between non-Indigenous and First Nations peoples here in Australia. One of the um, challenges that have been set for us in New South Wales education is to increase the percentage of students, uh, Aboriginal students completing year 12 by 50% whilst maintaining cultural identity. Deborah, if you reflect on the work you've done, the operas you've created and the, the groups that you've created, how important do you see music 
as being a way of helping Aboriginal students connect to culture and to country and to putting Aboriginal people at the centre of the stories that we're telling. Mark, music is our way of knowing. It's our way of understanding everything in the world and the arts more generally, I'd add to that. And it has been for some, well, for more than 2,000 generations. In fact, for all Australians, at some point, their ancestors knew the world and passed on knowledge through the arts. Writing is relatively new. Knowledge was painted onto the body. It was danced and it was sung and it was passed on from generation to generation through the arts and in particular music. Music is vital. If you want First Nations students to complete high school, make it more relevant and do not disadvantage them further by diminishing the amount of time they can spend in the arts. It's not that all of the other subjects don't have their value, of course they do, but what's not being realised right at this moment is that the arts feed into all of the other subjects mm. and any other body of knowledge is going to be out of date virtually by the time a year seven student completes year 12. What we have to do is teach children how to learn, how to know themselves, how to discover. And the arts are the way of achieving this. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we've got a lot of focus now on the requirement to create lifelong learners. The world is changing so quickly. Young people are going to need to be learning for the rest of their lives. And, you know, deep knowledge will be important. Deep knowledge of music will be important to be a gifted musician. But the kinds of things you get out of music kind of triggers to me a lot more of the discussion around the capabilities that we know young people will need. Creativity, communication skills, collaboration skills. These are all things that, that clearly emerge out of a study of music and participating with others in the creation of uh, music. Sarah, tell us a little bit about the music program and your ambitions for that program at Wilcannia Central School. You've had a big increase in the number of students who want to study music with you, I understand. Mark, I, as a teacher, use music in everything I do. And Deborah, I think that you've made a really good point there with the way that we can use music in the creative arts, particularly in a primary setting. We're so privileged that we are looking at all the key learning areas and using music as a tool to, as that entry point for students across so many different areas. So in our music program as a classroom teacher, I used it to build up a student's sense of identity and who they are. Also looking into history and storytelling, um, telling their story about their place, their connection to country. And then that kind of has transpired into all of our learning, whether it's in our geography and looking at Wilcannia and this place and sustainability and everything. Music was kind of that entry point and that the thing that underpinned everything and held it all together. But most importantly, particularly with the K to six music program that I've been running and now starting to work with the secondary students, it's combating that idea of shame that is so heavily felt by so many of our students and community. And music is something that people are able to stand up and go, no, I'm not going to have that shame, which is bigger than our um, non-Aboriginal sense of the word shame. And I'm going to break free of that. And it has provided an opportunity for our kids to stand up 
and our community to be proud of them, for our kids to be proud of each other. And that resilience, that understanding of who I am and being proud of who I am is the most important thing that I've seen as a result, which has obviously had a positive impact on not only the engagement within classrooms, but also attendance and school being a positive place for them to be. You got enormous attention for the work you did in the lockdown with students all participating, participating in singing, you know, the Paul Kelly Kev Carmody song from Little Things, Big Things Grow. Tell us how all that came together. Mark, it's been a challenging year for everyone and in all of our different locations, our different workspaces, I think we've all had our own individual set of challenges within the broader ones. Out here in a remote community, uh, two hours from the major centre, our major centre Broken Hill, we had our own set of challenges and some of those included, that's been widely documented, um, our access to food, our river, the Darling River, we've been um, missing, lacking water over the last year and things like that. So all of this compounded this year. Um, and as a school, all of a sudden we were faced with our biggest challenge, which was while our colleagues in cities with access to internet for all of their students were able for, not for all, absolutely, but for lots more of their cohort able to access online learning. It just simply wasn't an option for us. Our students at home don't have access to reliable internet. You walk into my house and my phone drops out. So our phone reception is really terrible out here. And so that provided a whole added layer of challenges. But I have to say, we have the most incredible and devoted and inspiring group of teachers at Wilcannia Central School. We have the most incredible group of school staff, support staff who work with us. And we just banded together as a group to say, we are not going to allow this home learning and some of the, the blocks to it to mean that our students don't have the continuity of learning that any students anywhere else have. We also, one of the beautiful things about a small community is our connections with our local organisations. So our partnership with Wilcannia River Radio, which is something that we work on all throughout the year. All of a sudden our teachers were going to the radio station and delivering learning via um, lessons over the radio and we were delivering home packs so going out every day checking in on our students and our families and making sure that they were okay and they were learning um, and the song was my addition of course the biggest thing that I was feeling was not only the lack of connection with not being able to see the kids every day, but missing my music program, which is the highlight of my week and what brings joy to everything that I do. And so like so many other amazing teachers and staff all over New South Wales, all over the world, I turned to, okay, how can I make this work in my community? And Facebook is a way that our parents and school communicate because they do have access to their phone. They rely on credit for that access, but it is something that a tool that we use and we put the song over the radio station and asked students to send in videos of them singing along so that they were still participating uh, in the music program, which they did. And then we set out to film our daily activities of dropping work packs. It was just a day in the life of Wilcannia Central School, nothing special about it. And we wanted to show people what we were doing under the circumstances. And I think it really resonated with people because it represented not only the challenges in a place like this, but it connected to people and what they were feeling all around the country, all around the world. And, uh, and we all saw that footage and it was absolutely wonderful. Thomas, you know, one of the things that strikes me learning a bit more about your work is how actively you're engaged with the 
community and you seem to be kind of tapping into expertise that exists uh, surrounding the school and in the local community to make your program as effective as it can be. Yeah, I think that um, you asked earlier about what the research is currently um, saying at the moment in terms of this area, but uh, the, probably the key theme with Aboriginal education and education of First Nations peoples globally has been decolonisation um, and decolonising our classrooms. So um, with the program that I run at my school um, or help coordinate called Solid Ground, um, that's decolonisation in action because in that program, I make space for um, Aboriginal musicians to come in and share their expertise, choreographers, um, local community members to guide programming and to be the voices uh, for the students to help guide them in their pathways to better understanding their culture. And over the years, I've had to learn to when to step backwards. Um, and in that space, I'm not the teacher. And I think that that's a lesson, I think, for non-Indigenous teachers um, across the state, not just in music, but in all aspects and all key learn areas, is that when we're sharing Aboriginal content, that it's just such an amazing opportunity for you to work locally with your leaders in your schools, work with the experts in your field, because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices are everywhere in all key learning areas. And the success, the success stories that you see in business, the success stories within the arts, the success stories in the media, they are there. And as teachers, we need to harness um, the ability to show the, and share those stories to change the conversation about what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people do in this country and the incredible um, contribution that they make to present Australia. And um, the Solid Ground Program is an amazing, amazing place where students can come into the room, both Aboriginal students and non-Indigenous, and feel safe and feel that this is a place where they can learn more about culture through the voices and the eyes of people who um, are successful in their fields. So we've been lucky to collaborate with people such as Thelma Plum, Emma Donovan, um, Evie J. Willie, Neville Boney, an amazing choreographer who's um, incredible, an incredible emerging artist. And when those people walk into the room, it's really interesting that the students, um, they don't have any kind of um, nerves. In fact, it's the teachers often who feel more nervous about these famous people entering the room. Um, what they're interested in is ultimately someone who cares about them. And as the teacher in the space, you really do see that relationship that is developing between the mentors and the students. And um, what that does is it just creates this incredible atmosphere, not just within the program, but the school as a whole in terms of seeing um, what can happen when we have Aboriginal people come into our school to lead education and to lead growth in learning. Um, and I just feel so fortunate that I get to have a seat on the side and um, contribute where I can to help connect those um, groups of people together. And we're fortunate to have you uh, working in New South Wales education, Thomas and Sarah. I want to thank you both for the great contribution you're making, not just for your students in your classroom, but the education giving all of us around the effectiveness and the power of music education for all our students and a way of engaging in particular Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in our school. And it's been wonderful having you with us today, but also Deborah, for you to join us as well. Um, um, I don't think I was really aware of the time you spent as a teacher 
um, working in our schools on, on the pathway to your uh, stellar international career. And I understand that you've got a, a new opera that's in the works for 2021 as well. I do for Education Week actually in Victoria, but uh, one of the one of the most exciting things that uh, I feel I wanted to share with you today, which is a national program, and that is the One Day in January scholarship that uh, Short Black Opera has established, and that's a scholarship for a First Nations musician who is studying an orchestral instrument to come and be mentored by Australia's first. Uh, well, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and I can say that quite truthfully because we have almost balanced numbers of each, Australia's First Nations Orchestra, Ensemble Dutala. So the One Day in January recipient for this year is indeed uh, a young man from Nundal in northern New South Wales. Uh, he studied for a number of years at the Tamworth Conservatorium, and I've got to I've got to hand it to you, New South Wales. Your regional conservatoria mm. are absolutely magnificent. Mm. I'm I I love them so much. I wish we had them here in Victoria. Uh, this young man, Jackson Worley, a Milleroy man, a beautiful cellist, auditioned for the One Day in January scholarship, and is the inaugural recipient. Uh, and out of Karindi High up there, I know they're very, very proud of him. He'll be travelling down to Melbourne now that the borders are open in yep. January for our intensive training program. And there he'll be mentored by the director of Ensemble Dutala, Aaron Wyatt, and other members of the ensemble. And I'm really, I'm just really proud that the first recipient comes from a state high school in uh, a regional part of New South Wales. You know, I'm a product of state education in New South Wales, as are a number of our musicians in Ensemble Dutala. And I'm really proud to be giving this young man, Jackson, the opportunity for self-determination on his instrument. Uh, he'll bring his culture to his playing, whether he's playing Mozart or something by Brenda Gifford. Uh, Obviously, the group Ensemble Dutala champions First Nations composers, but we also say that this does not have to be mutually exclusive and to ignore the rest of the Western canon. We're not interested in that. We want to give all opportunities to First Nations musicians so that they're not excluded from any endeavour in life. If they want to play in one of the, uh, one of the nation's great orchestras, then they have just as much opportunity as anybody else if they go through the rigours of their training and stay the course. But there's a famous saying that um, you can't be what you can't see. I'm not sure that I 100% agree with that because there have been many pioneers and I certainly stand on the shoulders of giants. But sometimes I had to be something that I couldn't see. But it's certainly much easier. And as Thomas was saying, when... First Nations leadership enters into a classroom, you'll see those children quite naturally respond because this is part of a community. And the culture that's being shared in classrooms uh, of a traditional nature is a very, it's a very precious commodity. And we must always strive to understand that across this vast continent of ours, 
Not all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children will have the same knowledge of their own culture. And that is as the direct result of colonisation. So I'm very encouraged by what Sarah and Thomas have both said, and particularly in, in terms of decolonisation. But the weight of responsibility, actually, I would say here, is on the 98% of our population rather than on the 2%. Mm. On the 98% who haven't received the education that you're giving these children now, we have to make up a great gap in the knowledge of non-Indigenous Australians about the longest continuing music practice in the world, the longest continuing culture. And that will build a valuing and a love for Indigenous cultures and First Nations cultures. And that's half the work done right there. Thanks so much for that, Deborah, and thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks for creating the opportunities for someone like Jackson. We're thrilled of the world that will be opening up for him through experiences uh, with you and the team in, uh, in January. That's wonderful news. And thanks for your continuing commitment and leadership in this vital area of work. Uh, applications for uh, the 2022 One Day in January Scholarship uh, are open now. You need yeah. only go to the Short Black Opera website and that's open to anybody from 14 years of age up to 26 who is studying an orchestral instrument. You're ready to talk about your connection to music and to culture. You're ready to play an audition. Then come and see us because we'd love to hear from you. Terrific. Thanks. And we'll put that link up on our uh, website where people came into this podcast. And, and uh, Sarah and Thomas, big week for both of you, but big week that's simply the next stage in the important work that you're doing. I want to thank you for joining us today also on the Every Student podcast. Um, and, and I'm told that if we ask nicely, there might be a, a way of letting our wonderful leading uh, music teachers take us out of this podcast today with a song. So we're going to pass it over to you. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast. Gather round people I'll tell you a story Of teachers and students With passion and pride We come from Wilcannia And we'd like you to listen these times might be scary but together we'll stand
share your views on the Every Student podcast by taking part in our short listener survey. Head to education.nsw.gov.au forward slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator who we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.